Revelation chapter 21. Put your finger right there for just a moment and turn over to the book of Revelation chapter 1. Chapter 1. I need a rememberer, a refresher (coughs) about this whole book. It is not a book to be feared. It's a book for the church to be blessed by. It's a book by the church to realize that it is the chart and compass. It is the Lord Jesus Christ personified. It is the declaration and glory and praise of Almighty God. And there are uh, several passages in here that share with us that the church, even as they, this was being written, was persecuted. But the persecution is not the main point. The Christ that watches over his people in persecution is the main point. Now notice here in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, this is the key verse to this book, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Now that word revelation is the word apocalypso. And in our culture, that word is almost dreaded. It, well, the wars and the battles and the, well, that's not the meaning of the word. That word has been changed from what it meant in the scriptures. In the scriptures, this word is used to, the word is found in Luke chapter 1, a light to lighten. Same word, revelation and lighten. It's, it's not a word to be feared. I, I, I've used that word in class, and boy, the, the kids have heard enough to be afraid of the word apocalypse. But they don't have any idea what that means. It means that it's to be enlightened by the Lord. And this book is the book of enlightenment. It's the revelation, the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this book, it is really a concise statement about the revelation of Jesus Christ. If we ever get lost in this book, go back to verse 1. This is what it's about. And this is what will comfort us. Is just say, I may not know what this is about. I don't understand what this is about. But the overall scheme of it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, as we've traveled through this book over the past years, we've got to chapter 21. And we have seen here in the first part of this chapter the results of the everlasting covenant. The everlasting covenant. God made a covenant. Now, he's made two covenants, several covenants, but two are really brought out in the scriptures. The old covenant with national Israel. He made a covenant with them. And they said, we will obey. Now, that's what takes a covenant. Two people in agreement. We agree to do whatever we agree to do. It can be written, it can be verbal, it can be a handshake. I remember my dad talking about a handshake agreement. It was really a covenant. We agree to do this. I buy this property from you for such and such a price and handshake. And that was all it took. And then we had to go to written ones. And now we have to go get a lawyer to take care of it. Well, the covenant is just an agreement. Now, in the Old Testament, God asked Israel to make an agreement. An agreement to obey him to obey His Word, to obey His law. And they agreed to it. Now, God never shares with us that He ever expected them to keep it because they cannot. Men cannot keep God's law. It was a schoolmaster. It was an instruction point. 
It was to share with us that man in his fallen state cannot keep the law. Now when Israel did not keep the law, God said, I regarded it not. The covenant's over. I don't have to be I don't have to fulfill my part because the covenant is lost. Now, the everlasting covenant is an agreement that God made before the world began. And it was made between the three persons of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it was made on the behalf of a great group of people called a number that no man can number. It's made on the behalf of the church. And they, in covenant agreement, said, we will redeem a people for our glory and for their good. Now, the everlasting covenant has some real interesting statements with regards to us. And they are found in verses 1, 2, and 3 of this chapter. It's the summation of much of what we find in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament concerning this covenant. In the book Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah, God said, I'll, after these things, I'll make a new covenant. And it will not be like the old covenant, but this covenant they shall keep, for I'll give them a heart. And I'm, I'm summing up a lot of verses. But here we have in these verses of Scripture the comments that are made with regard to this covenant and what God promised to do as a result of the everlasting covenant. Now Israel did not keep the old covenant. They indeed could not keep the old covenant. Their heart was far from it. And it was just a, it was just a statement made by God. You cannot keep it. You will not ever approach me on your own works. Well, we find that in the New Testament, it says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. So the everlasting covenant, the new covenant, whatever God's covenant among the Godhead, on the behalf of us, on the behalf of his people, he says this, chapter 21, verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Now when we went over that, we find that the, in the everlasting covenant, because sin entered into the world, there has to be something drastically done with this earth and with heaven. Sin has been there. Satan has been there. And God is going to have to make it new in quality. And then he says, there's no more sea. And we found a verse in the Old Testament said that he took our sin and put it in the deepest sea. Now that's just a, just a statement a metaphorical statement saying sin will be remembered no more. God puts it away for his people. He puts it away. Those he had a covenant for and those Christ died for and those the Holy Spirit applies, he takes away their sin. They can, that sin cannot be found. And I saw, verse 2, I, saw, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now this is part of the everlasting covenant. God is going to have an assembly of his people. They're going to be assembled at his feet. And as farther we go through this, the farther we find out that God never said that there's going to be stages or positions or hierarchy in heaven. Everybody that's in heaven is equal. If we are faithful, it's because of God. And maybe I should say, since his people are faithful in him, it's because of God. Now, 
he does not look at his children as unequal. He looks at them as totally equal, same blood, same Father, same Holy Spirit, same work of the cross, and he is promised to conform, predestined to conform his children to his image. Now, and it goes on here, uh, this, this, uh, these verses of Scripture share with us that God has no interest, no title, no place that is called purgatory, where people spend a little time and get cleaned up, get their act cleaned up. That's not necessary because God cleans up His people. They will be presented spotless. We don't have to go through some fire. If Christ took the fire, then we don't have to. If He didn't take the fire, it will be purpose that we will. And that's what we call the second death. This verse destroys the teaching of purgatory, degrees and rewards in heaven. And we're going to find out it destroys... Nobody's going to be mourning in heaven, and no one is going to be weeping over past sins in heaven. It's not going to be even in... Talk about a brainwashing. (laughs) It's going to be so good... That what God does, that there will be no more memory of sin. And he goes on to talk about that. Okay, (coughs) then it says here in verse 3, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. The everlasting covenant's fulfillment right here. God said in the Old Testament, he brings it up in the New Testament, that as a result of God's covenant of grace, his covenant of blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, that he will dwell with his people, and his people will dwell with him, and he will recognize every one of them as his children, and they will recognize every, every one of them will recognize him as their God. Now that's the promise that God has made. There will be this. And then verse 4, we'd like to spend some time on tonight. The, the finality of the everlasting covenant. Now, it begins when God regenerates us. This begins when God regenerates us. Even though we may not see it in its fullness, it begins in our regeneration. God will wipe away all tears. Now, in, a, in this present life, God teaches us that we do not have to fear Him. If He's taking care of sin, there's no longer any fear towards God. And it, it just, we get in His presence and there's no more tears. We're not, we are able to come to Him boldly, to His throne of grace boldly. And that's because of the blood of Christ. But in, when this is finally completed, there will be no more tears. Uh, it, it's going to be such a completion. And, uh, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Now that's the most delightful verse of Scripture. It's begun at regeneration, and it is completed in being presented spotless to the Lord Jesus Christ. This will be a fact for eternity. Now, we never find in the scriptures when we're at rest with him in eternity that we're just going to be sitting there dumb. We're going to be praising him. And we're going to be trophies of grace. 
Except for the grace of God, there go I as the worst of the worst. And it's only the grace of God that makes a difference. All right, let's look at this verse of Scripture a little bit tonight and see that this verse of Scripture is absolutely based upon one thing. Jesus Christ sufficiently dying for our sins. If he took care of all our sins, this verse is the verse. If he took care of our sins. Now let's look. We've been kind of going over the crucifixion or the suffering Savior for a little time. And I... Sonny, there's some more on that bone. <laughs> I found a little more there. But uh, the suffering Savior and the implications of His all-sufficient sacrifice, the, the statement of His all-sufficient sacrifice is found here. No more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more. This is the completion of the sufficiency of the death of Jesus Christ. If he took care of what he said he would do, then this verse of scripture is as 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 wonderful as we could ever find in the scriptures. All right. Now, Romans 8 verse 1. Would you turn there with me? And I have several verses I would like to read. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. The Bible teaches this so plainly that everyone that Jesus Christ died for will find themselves in this situation. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. Who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. And that really opens the door to no more tears. That really opens the door to no more death. That really opens the door to that verse of Scripture that we've read over there in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4. All of those things that are said are as a result of the all-sufficient sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. God the Father was so satisfied. Now, uh, I was reading a little bit of an old preacher wrote. He said in the Old Testament, all those sacrifices, and he said millions. Uh, I hadn't got quite there. I got to hundreds of thousands. But he said millions of sacrifices in the Old Testament. Not one time did that sacrificial critter ever come up out of the ashes and revive. And that's just an indication of the insufficiency of all those sacrifices. Now when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, He is the only sacrifice that ever was consumed completely. And then three days and three nights later, He came up from the ashes of His own sacrifice. It's an indication to us that it was sufficient. That the fire of God's wrath burned out on him. And the condemnation that was due us was burned out on him. And he was put away in a tomb. But three days and three nights later, now he didn't come out of there secretly 
500 brethren at one time saw him. And all of the times that we find people saw him and visited with him and he instructed them, he wanted people to know that he had come out of that tomb, that his sacrifice was sufficient to come up from the ashes of that sacrifice. And he did. And now there's no more condemnation. That's why there's no more tears. Condemnation condemnation is death. Condemnation is judgment. And as a result of no condemnation, we look God and say, I I can I can quit weeping now. There's such peace that we have. I can quit weeping over this. Alright, turn with me to John seventeen and verse four. The Lord Jesus, great high priestly prayer. <clears throat> There's so many nuggets in this, John 17, that add to the nuggets we find all over the Scriptures. John 17 and verse 4. Now this is such a statement. I like to read about finished work. Now, some of you recognize a little difference around our place with all those trees gone. <laughs> I visited with a neighbor over here and he says, I can see the hills, the clickitats now. <laughs> There's no trees. And yet, if you come over here in the daylight, those guys that cut down all those trees left one tree four feet high back here. Now, why in the world? That's just like religion. We got the work, we got it all done, and you make an inspection and you find out they don't have it all done. It's not finished. Well, look at what the Lord Jesus Christ said about His ministry and His work. He did not leave a four-foot stump around. You're not going to uncover this. You know? Oh, we got it all stacked up with wood. You'll never notice. Jesus Christ did nothing in a corner. It was all sufficient and all glorious. And here in John chapter 17, and there in verse 4, the scriptures say, I have glorified thee in the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And that's read in my Bible. (laughs) That's the words of the Lord Jesus. I have finished the work. Well, guess where we're going next? It's finished. (laughs) It is finished. All the work. And that's in John 19, verse 30. Jesus Christ from the cross. He said this. It is finished. And that's why there's no more tears. That's why there's no more sorrow. That's why there's no more death. That's why it is all clean with God. The slate is clean. He can hold nothing against His people. As far as the east is from the west, it's clean. Buried in the deepest sea, it's clean. All sin is put away by the Lord Jesus. It was so sufficiently taken care of that on the third day, as promised, He came out of that tomb victorious. He's the sacrifice they saw. From uh, 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock in the afternoon, he was under the pangs of the horrificness of our sin. And when it was over with, he said, it's finished. John chapter 19, verse 30, it says, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now, his life was not taken from him. He tells us that. I lay down my life that I might take it up again. It was not taken from him. 
He didn't die as a result of being on the cross. He didn't die as a result of going through all this agony, all his suffering. He did not die. He gave up his life. He's still in command of it, even after all of this. And so this is why the scriptures tell us there will be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death. He has taken care of every issue that stood between us. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were greatly offended at the work of Adam in the Garden of Eden. And they've been greatly offended with the works of man. If you don't believe it, ask those people in the flood. Go to Sodom and Gomorrah. Ask those people. Was he greatly offended? Yes, he was. He turned that, that place to glass. He's greatly offended. And we just find that is just a microcosm of what took place on the cross when Jesus Christ was there, when he became the all-sufficient Savior. Alright, and turn with me if you would to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse uh, 12. As we think about this wonderful work of God and as a result of it, He will wipe away all tears from their eyes and shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Now, I look at these as all spiritual. Now, in glory, all these things will be physical too. But the spiritual is far more valuable to us now than than having all that creek in my back taken care of. (laughs) You know, this is not the kind of pain he's talking about. He's talking about the relationship we have with God by nature. And we are at... Uh, loggerheads with God. In fact, it is spoken of that we hate Him from our heart. Jesus summed it up and says, You honor me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. So there was an anger there. It's taken care of by the Lord. So these are spiritual statements, spiritual death, spiritual sorrow, spiritual tears. But in the finality, there will be no pain in heaven. (laughs) There will be no tears in heaven. There will be no death in heaven. There will be no sorrow in heaven. But these are spiritual things that God applies to His church right now because of the relationship that's been opened up between God and man. (laughs) There's been a reconciliation. (laughs) Excuse me. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12. Hebrews 9, 12. Neither by the blood of bulls, uh, excuse me, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Having obtained eternal redemption for us. This statement that we find in Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 is absolutely essential. If this be the truth, then Jesus Christ must have been the sufficient Savior the sufficient sacrifice. He left nothing undone. He came up from the sacrifice after being consumed, if you please, spiritually speaking, consumed by the wrath of God, by the law of God, and by the hearts of all the people that were around there, and even by the beating that he got from Satan. Genesis 3, verse 15 
Now, there's only one time that Satan got to do with the Lord what he wanted to do. Did he get to do it in the temptation? No. The Lord rebuked him. Used the Word of God. And then he says, you know, get out of here. And the only time that man and Satan ever got to do with God what they wanted to do and was permitted to do and prophesied what they would do was at the cross. And somehow Satan was able to come up against the Lord Jesus Christ and bruise his heel. Now, you know what it is to get a bruise and what it looks like. It takes a thumping to be bruised. And the older we get, it doesn't take near as much thumping. (laughs) But a bruise his heel. And there at the cross, the Lord Jesus had that assault put on him. Satan assaulted him in the way that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit said that he would do it. Just as it says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. But it also, we find, not only was it Satan buffeting him at the cross, but God the Father came down and buffeted him with his justice and law and the necessity of pouring out on him what was justly due the church. If they're going to go free, someone has to pay for it. And then from the side, the Roman soldiers and the religious people of the day were beaten on him on all sides. They beat on him in the judgment hall, physically. And they beat on him at the cross, thrust a spear into him, and mocked him, and then all the rest. And when it was all said and done, we can hear him say, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. Now, for us, is in italics. Be nice, just say, he has obtained eternal redemption. That's what he did. And that's why we can say, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Now, God does this in a miraculous way. It's through the new birth that he applies this death of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 5, we've read this many times, and I'd like to read it again. The Lord Jesus has put away sin by his death. That's why there's no more sorrow. There's no more tears. There's no more death. But here, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, The Apostle Paul was used to be a secretary, write some things down to this group of believers in Corinth. They had been sinners all their life. And by the grace of God, they heard the gospel. And by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit applied that gospel to their heart, and they were born again. Now that word born again means born from above. It means it was not a natural birth. Old uh, uh, Nicodemus made an honest statement. How can these things be? Must I enter my mother's womb the second time and be born? That's what it meant to him. That's what it means to the religious world. That's what it means to natural man. It's an impossibility. 
But with God, nothing shall be impossible, and it is a birth that comes from God. All right, First Corinthians chapter five, verse seventeen. Uh oh. Second Corinthians. Boy, that's a makes a big difference. Second Corinthians chapter five verse seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, in our verse in Revelation. 21 verse 4, for the former things are passed away. The former relationship with Adam is passed away. The former relationship with sin is passed away. The former relationship with judgment for our sin is passed away. These things have all passed away. And as, as it's brought out here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, it says, uh, all things are passed away. And I like what Brother Henry Mahan said about that. Not all old things are passed away. We still have to deal with the flesh. We still deal with aches and pains, the natural consequences of the fall. We still deal with physical death. That's just, that's just life. But, he also says here, Behold, all, there is not one thing that we had by nature in this new birth. We didn't have anything by nature in this new birth. Behold, all things become new. There is nothing spiritual that we brought to this. There's nothing good that we brought to this. There's nothing physical. Jesus said, the flesh profiteth nothing. So all things, every spiritual thing came from the spiritual God. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. They must have this new birth in order to worship God correctly. And they bring nothing to the table. Everything is on the table. God provides everything. Everything spiritual, God provides it. We are unable to do that. And part of this is there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death, no more tears. Spiritual, our relationship with God is so perfect, so infinitely perfect. As perfect as God is, is this relationship. And it's been created by God and brought to us and given to us. And after he's given it to us, we recognize the fact that he has given it to us and we have extreme faith towards him. We have extreme repentance towards him and faith given to us. It's extreme. It's extreme. It is not natural to have this kind of repentance and this kind of faith towards God. We didn't bring anything to the table. All things become new. So it's extreme repentance. And repentance is not having a little view of what we did wrong, sin. Sorry we got caught. But it's a different view towards God than we've ever had in our life because He was the one that we offended. Sin is a consequence. He doesn't want us to deal with sin. He wants us to come to Him. He's dealt with sin. Repent faith is just trusting God. And we don't do that by nature, but He's got it on the table for us. He's given all things new. 
Isaiah chapter 25. There's about three or four verses over here in the book of Isaiah in chapter 25 through verse 51 that we'd like to read. In Isaiah, the gospel according to Isaiah has a lot to say about this relationship that we have with God. In the Old Testament, the physical relationship to Abraham did not bring them spiritual relationship with God. And Paul was used to bring that out in the book of Romans. Not all Israel is of Israel. And only the true Israelites are those that God has worked in. Now notice here in the book of Isaiah, chapter 25, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 25. This this relationship that God (coughs) shared in the Old Testament and brings out and then covers, goes clear through the New Testament. There's not two different uh, manners or means or not two different salvations. There's one. It's the same through history. I'll never forget, even in my lost condition, going to a church one time, and the teacher in the Bible class said, in the Old Testament people were saved by those sacrifices, in the New Testament they're saved by grace. I didn't know anything, but I knew that was wrong. Nobody was ever saved by those sacrifices, just like nobody's saved by their self-sacrifice. It's the grace of God. All right. Isaiah 25, verse 6. And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make an... Uh, Make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines of the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wines of the lees, well refined. Now what he's saying is, I'm going to have a really special blessing here. Now, it it was a special blessing to have these things at your dinner table there. Whatever view you have today, it was then. It was a special blessing to have these things at the dinner table. And he says, We'll make unto all the people a feast of fat things. And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the, of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. In this mountain, in the church, he's going to remove that veil that he talks about that Moses came off that mountain and Paul was used to make reference to this. (coughs) The veil is still on the Jews in the reading of the law. It is only taken off in Christ. And here he said, I'm going to take that veil off. They're not going to be tied to the law. They're not going to be worshiping the law. They're not going to have this, this feeling towards the law that I've kept and therefore God owes me something. And then in verse 8, He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces, and the rebuke of His people shall He take away from off all the earth, for the Lord hath spoken it. He will wipe away tears, He will swallow up death, and and the rebuke of His people. What's the rebuke of His people? The soul that sinneth, it shall die. That's what God said. There's nothing else to take care of it. This is the plight we're in. and can't keep the law, so what do we do? I will take care of that rebuke. And he did that. Isaiah 35. 
Turn with me to Isaiah 35. This is a spiritual blessing. These are spiritual blessings that God has provided because of the successful sacrifice of Christ, the successful burial of Christ, the successful resurrection of Christ, that all might know that He's the first sacrifice. We have said this in the past. We've read this in the past. You've read this in the past. That in Christianity, Christ is the only prophet that ever came out of the tomb. Mohammed's still there. Moses is still there. His body. All religious leaders, they're still in the tomb. Now, if they were saved, they're spirits with God, but Jesus Christ brought his body out of the tomb to show the people, to his people, demonstrate before God and show his people that this was a different sacrifice than any of those millions. They could not do this. He has done this. He has been successful. All right, and the results are there's no more tears. Isaiah 35, verse 3. Isaiah 35 and verse 3. Strengthen ye the weak hands, and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense, and he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart. These are all spiritual statements. These are, these are metaphors. These are similes. The tongue of the dumb sing, for the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. And the habitation of dragons, which each were each day, shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and a way that shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those the wayfaring men... Though fools shall not err therein, no lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads, and they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. What an experience God gives to His people to put away sorrow and sign and have great joy, the privilege to approach the Holy God without tears. Without, we may say in this life, Lord, I'm sorry. But in that life, thank you, God. In this life, we may have some pains about it, but in that life, thank you, you took away all the pain that was between us. And time is fleeting. Let's, uh, and then in Isaiah chapter 65, all possible causes of fear are removed in Christ with the knowledge of complete forgiveness. All possible causes of fear are removed because of His sufficient death, because of His sufficient sacrifice, He's taken away all tears. Now, in Isaiah 65, verse 25, this is so often <clears throat> mentioned with regard to a, uh, a thousand-year period of time, and there is there's a there's a uh, just a, the statement found in the scriptures that 
Jesus Christ has reigned. Jesus Christ is reigning, and Jesus Christ will forever reign. So we don't have to wait for him to get a throne for a thousand years to reign. All power, he said, is given unto me in heaven and earth. He doesn't have to wait for some time when he gets it. He isn't waiting for the permission of people to get it. He has it. All power. Now, if you want to count the time between the cross and the coming of the Lord the second time as the millennium, go ahead. That's a thousand years. That's the time of the gospel being preached. That's a glorious time, gospel time. And it's been before the cross, it's been after the cross. They preached the gospel in the Old Testament as well as we. That's what the Bible says. And so we are not looking for a millennium where for a thousand years you reigns. We're looking for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. We're looking for the coming of Christ the second time. Not for signs, but we're looking for Christ the second time. All right. Here in Isaiah 65, verse 25, this is, this is so often said about the millennium time, but this is a spiritual statement about the conflict between heaven and men, between men and God. The, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. Now, who's the lamb? And what does he cause in the hearts of the wolves? I'm talking about natural man. Those flea-bitten, ornery critters. What does he do? The, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. What does he do with our heart? He causes us to be at peace with him. And we'll eat his food. Before then, uh, give me your name. I was reading that again over there. The seven women... It was at Isaiah 7, I think. Seven women shall take one man. It's just a statement. People, they said, we will provide our own food and we'll provide our own raiment, but just give us your name. We'll provide our own gospel and we'll provide our own righteousness. We just need to be called Christians. That's what it is. Now here, the the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw with the bullock. And the dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, saith the Lord. Now before the fall, every critter was was a grazer. It wasn't till after the flood that we see carnivorous animals. And he's making a statement here. I am going to bring it back to where it was. Not necessarily about the critters. I don't know why there's going to be dogs in heaven. Doesn't make any difference to me. Is Christ going to be there? Yes, he is. If he wants to have a dog, I don't find any scripture about it. Critters of any kind being there, but that's his business. But the church will be there, and they'll recognize him, and they'll eat with him because he has changed the heart of the natural, the carnivorous, to sit with him. He'll change our heart. That's his promise. The, uh, 
They shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And as a result of that, be no more death, no more sorrow, no more tears. <coughs> there shall be no more crying. And then, finally, if you turn with me over to the book of Psalms, <coughs> Psalms, this uh, I, Revelation 21 and verse 4, and we mentioned this, it just destroys all the teaching about decrees and rewards. Everybody, everybody gets this. Oh, we're not going to have half a mile. Uh, you're going to still have to cry a little. Oh, no. Everybody is going to have this that belongs to him, that he purchased with his own blood. All right. Psalm 17. Now, it hasn't been that long ago. We went through Psalm 17. Now, I want to have to look in my notes. I might have skipped this verse. <laughs> I just, my goodness. As for me, Psalm 17, verse 15, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. I said, My goodness. I awake with thy likeness. Paul was used to write, We are predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. It will be. He's working on it now. But then, there will be identical children. They will all, I don't say physically, but they'll all be like their Savior. We'll awaken His likeness. So, as, as John wrote, after the great statements about the everlasting covenant, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death neither sorrow nor crying neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away all right we'll stop there